I'm aware that uh, I'm aware that our time together on the conventional clock reality is dwindling, and that brings up certain mild panic reactions in my mind. <laughs> I think it's whole, it's the intention is good. I'd really like to feel that uh, somehow we've been able to give you enough, um, enough nourishment, enough support, enough trust, enough skillful means. Um, so just feeling, witnessing, hearing, sensing. I sense there's a good amount of of damage actually. Um, that people carry of it quite obviously physically induced you know maltreatment and so forth some of it damage of deprivation just never really having been fully welcomed there's a damage of bad treatment there's damage of neglect it's never really having been fully welcomed or not long enough you know so when it's lived on crumbs and survive. Feeling perhaps that if we just did a little bit more, we'd finally get enough of you know, the sense of completion in ourselves. This particular <coughs> unconscious strategy. <coughs> and there are different ways you know, in which these things can be experienced for people the sense of absence of worth, the not enough yet, <coughs> the not just that there's not enough there, but I somehow am incapable of getting enough or don't deserve enough or and so forth. Um, so in this particular sense, and this may have some relevance to you, uh, and not to make more of that than there is, uh, there's also profound aspiration, uh, willingness, commitment, Found degrees of beauty and strength, and there's, but there are damaged tissues, damaged layers, and in myself and in, in all of us. <clears throat> so, in some ways, I mm, trying to, in a way, hold the wholeness of this. I found myself questioning you know, how much, to, what to teach, in some ways, and feeling out. You know what is appropriate now, and sensing well, perhaps there is a good amount of learning on particular systems and techniques, and I don't underestimate these. And maybe I don't have to do this all, tell you everything, but perhaps I might be able to point you to a little bit that you may not have seen that clearly or sensed that clearly, and keep pointing you to that reminding you of that. <clears throat> and there is a sense of how the wholeness of being continually contracts onto particular layers or objects. You know, sense in which the wholeness gets lost, we get mesmerized into particular Patterns of behavior, patterns of being, fear patterns, guilt patterns, 
self-hatred patterns, self-abuse patterns, and so forth. And the wholeness is lost. So I've, why I've introduced the sense of tonality, resonate, be able to resonate. Resonate means simply the ability to, you know, how feel the feeling in the feeling. And in that, in that particular rather cryptic phrase, there is an underlying tonality of alignment. I'll bring that up for you, just alignment. And in the sense of alignment, there's a presence. It's presence. And that presence, you know, I call this, or refer to viveka as, a, as one way of, of navigating towards that. Letting go of the extremes, letting go of the compulsions, letting go of the dejection patterns. And the, and the covetousness patterns, the I've got to be patterns, and the I never am patterns. I'm coming back to, there's just this. Um, so through the very quality of specific presence, you know, not generic, gen- generic presence, I always am. You know, I've got all these problems. You don't have all these problems. At one particular time, you have one problem. <laughs> You know, and often the problems are are cased inside themselves. You know, they're, they're like layered in, rather like um, Chinese boxes or Chinese dolls, or one's inside the other. And it, to know which is the one, you know, in this seeming density of problematic material, which is which is the one, the one that, and the one to deal with, or the one to relate to, is the one that really resonates. It's the one you can align yourself to. Um, feel the feeling in the feeling. So, and the difference is that the one that you don't align yourself to, you form a view about. I should get to deal with my, I need to deal with my, um, I'm always like this. I'm supposed to be like this. Why aren't I like this? I should have got that by now. Or even she should, he should. And then this is called forming a view. The, the observer separates from the phenomenon and shoulds it, views it. And there's a sense of abstraction. You're not, one isn't meeting it. The whole energy of forming view is to stand back so I can get clearer vision of that. And this is so easy to mistake for, for viveka, why I've used the settling back rather than detachment as a word. Detachment so easily becomes this cold, onlooking, with no empathy and no real resonance. We can numbly watch our lives go by, yeah. feeling slightly out of it. My goodness. <laughs> and even get in that state, who has become familiarized with that state, well, it, it, some of the pangs go away because you're in this slightly dissociated state, so you're watching stuff coming and going, oh, look at that, there it is, there it is, my goodness, oh, oh, oh dear. Um, don't, you know, don't come up close to this, so we form a view, we can list defilements, uh, and so on. 
We never meet one, really. So this feeling the feeling in the feeling, being knowing the mind in the mind, knowing the mind objects or the dhammas in the dhammas, knowing them or as dhammas, or feeling the feeling as a feeling, it's how this is translated, uh, varies. There's always a very direct on, really on that. And perhaps the one word that... Uh, coming up for me and I heard it said last night and I was very pleased to hear it brought into the into the dialogue is um, that that marks um, you know can be perhaps the basic outline out wrapper you know the topmost of those Chinese boxes the outer layer of it is shame One is ashamed of one's anger, one is ashamed of one's fear, one is ashamed of the doubt, one is ashamed of one's, one's pains, one is ashamed by them, one is lessened by them, one feels guilty about them, one feels one deserves them, or whatever, you know. This sense of not being able to touch something, this is too shameful. <clears throat> and I'm glad this... Uh, word came in, it's been coming up for me, um, feeling some of the, myself, a certain kind of ringing gladness in, in the interviews to hear people actually say their feeling, you know, with five people sitting around just to be their feeling, you know, to find that somehow in a listening space, a safe listening space, to be able to be and say the feeling as it is. And the kind of relief that comes out out of that, when the, the, the shroud of shame parts, and we we might recognise it's all right to be here. And ah, there we have settled. We have touched the monster, and finally realise that the only thing that uh, monsters cannot forgive is not being touched. They will haunt you, demanding forever until you touch them. This is so the, the shame is is that which is this shall not be touched. This shall not be mentioned. And if it is mentioned it will be mentioned in suitably disgusted terms. <laughs> <laughs> with all sorts of apologies and uh, ways of trying to get rid of it and, you know, how can I get out of this? So even when we conceive of it, it immediately is, is, is coated with the shame, so immediately that one hardly notices it. It is shameful, isn't it? And it's really understand, trying to feel in, into that. And we say we can be proud of these, Delighted, relish our doubt, might, might be a, an interesting proposition even. You know, play with the doubt. Fling it up in the air like a toddler. Play with it. Go for a walk with it. Romp with it. What's the medicines that's needed? You know, uh, 
to be able to not to say that we want to make doubt or greed or hatred or fear or resentment something that's kind of permanent monument testimonial in our existence but that it will only unfold itself when it's touched and my own experience and insight such as it is is that these you realize how powerful these hindrances how powerful these formations are the power and the energy there wouldn't it be how can one really come to a sense of wholeness if we continue to keep trying to shut that down and recognizing actually it's stronger than you are you know you, you, you kind of you can shut it down get the lid on and then flop get the lid on again and flop okay and then get some you know powerful system that really gets that lid on but then when you come out of retreat whoops the lid's off again <laughs> So why don't we just try, you know, taking the, <laughs> the lid off? Um, you know, uh, but we can't we can't exactly do that until there is the field that can hold it. Now I've been talking about this field or ground, the ground of relative emptiness, which um, you know generated unfolds itself with the invitation to be present an invitation to be nothing more than that, an invitation to have to know nothing more than that. This is a feeling, in the f- felt as a feeling. So what would it be like if all those tremendously powerful um, dissonances and afflictions unfolded and their power and their energy was actually assimilated, could be transferred. So instead of being tangled up, twisted out knots of being, they melted into us and their energy was no longer frustrated and torn and tangled and bitter and striving and thrusting and grabbing. What would it be like if the fists turned into palms? And you consider, well, you know, how could it be any other way? How, how can you set one aspect of your psyche against another aspect of it and expect to come to a state, some sense of completion or wholeness? And I think this is where the languages can be so crucial for us. And, you know, I don't know about the, langu- the Pali language. And by the time the Pali gets translated into English, and what the difference is in cultural meanings and what pe- how people needed to hear things. I really don't know that, but I can guess, I can imagine, just knowing how profoundly shamed people are, how profoundly um, out of their bodies people are, that teachings that talk about pulling us away from sensual indulgence can easily be taken in in this sense to be pulling us out of any sense at all. And our love of conceptual abstractions, you know, to get beyond it all, to get to the beyond the beyond, the other shore, the far away, (laughs) out into the mist, you know, 
get out, away, away. <laughs> and, you know, this, this kind of language thing, you know, this is slightly eerie. And then you realize, well, when you come into, beginning to contact the person with history, you think, well, no wonder we want to get out beyond, beyond. <laughs> <laughs> but does, does this attitude, you know, to what extent is that attitude, you know, we want to get out of suffering, certainly, but how to translate that into real practical terms, pragmatic terms, where you get this, you know, when you actually contemplate broadly the Buddha's teaching beyond the linguistic conventions, and I just want to put that to one side for the moment. Looking, how can this sense of mindfulness, fully coming into presence, fully knowing as it is, um, and the Buddha's often complete refusal to talk about <laughs> a goal? You know, you kind of throw it in maybe as a one-line phrase at the end of a thing, but mostly it was about feeling this, sensing this, holding this, managing this, knowing. Why was it, you know, not? all that and it can be kind of uninspiring because we'd like to know about the beyond the beyond (laughs) (laughs) if you look at that how is that sense which is this tremendous emphasis seemingly into into coming into specific presence specific here and now touch this hold this feel this work with this handle this you know balance this you know, how, how is that compatible with a sense of, you know, getting out of suffering? Is it, you know, and you look at that, and is, that's true, isn't it, the way I see it? And, but the Buddha said, this is the way out of suffering. You know, the beyond the beyond is actually somehow not going out, but going so completely in through phenomena that we break through these crusts of the shame and the resentment, and the despair, and all the, all the casing that becomes our apparent self, we, we begin to melt that and unfold that to come to a pure core of, of emptiness. An emptiness that is quite, you know, is able to handle things willing to handle things, recognizes in the handling of things is the true allaying of dukkha both in, in an essence and in detail, you know, both in terms of, uh, of momentary realizations, also in terms of forging a conventional path. Handle this one this way, touch this like this, work out your, your practice in thinking, speaking, acting, behaving, Effort, mindfulness, um, samadhi, unification. You know, so it's it's very much um, trying to almost diffuse that that quality of illumination into all these channels through which our lives operate. When we contemplate the uh, teachings on mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta, particularly, you know, we have very um, specific references to body elements breathing in and out dying dead bodies um, feelings uh, and even though they're, they're, they're um, synoptic you know they're, they're quite pungent and you can recognize in the Buddha's use of language 
This was somebody who was not beyond the beyond out there. You know, you look at the language you're talking about goldsmiths, dancing girls, waking streeted criminals, particular forest creepers, the way elephants were tamed, the way one trained horses, all kinds of very daily life. He obviously was watching and noticing and not just going thinking, thinking. <laughs> but actually thinking. <laughs> See, well, that's how that works. This is how a, a goldsmith purifies gold. He heats it up, he adds water, he blows on it, he skims it. He wasn't just you know, really not taking an interest, entering into the specific quality. When we look at the imagery, and I think there's a lot to be said about the, the almost like the subliminal messages. In other words, not what's just directly said, but the way that it's said that has conveys a particular has a particular meaning to it. And the Buddha often uses extremely powerful and striking images of things. You know how criminal, as I said, all these very uh, well described pictures and portrayals of what was happening in daily life around him. You know? Someone who saw and noted his Dhamma Vijaya, his sense of intelligence, spiritual intelligence, was attuned to the here and now of daily life and drawing from that to give us images that we could all resonate with. Oh yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. It's like that. You know, you, what happens when you, you, know, you think of purifying gold? And that's a very lovely image, isn't it? You've got this kind of raw material, it's all in there. And yet it needs to be warmed and fired and skimmed and stirred and sprinkled and so forth to, to get the pure brilliance there. But it's not that it's not there. No. Um, nor do we slice up the rocks. But it's, it's the sense of the, the care and attention that's required in handling material to to let the purity which is innate come shining through. In the foundations for Satipatthana, we enter through the body. And I'd like to say that when I talk about embodiment, I don't just purely mean being able to feel the tactile sensations in your body. It's a phrase I use... Um, embodiment um, as a way uh, as perhaps a, a skillful means a particular linguistic device to talk about entering into a particular field of intelligence field of awareness that is certainly bound up with somatic presence and it's also bound up with emotive effective presence we're resonant it's also bound up with cognitive clarity, when it's clear. And it's only when these three come together in some way that we come to a quality of wholeness. But both of us, <coughs> as in the sutta, need to get some sense of you know, being specifically grounded in, 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 in this particular body. And again, to, to recognize that the Buddha certainly um, brought up teachings to, to pull away from the infatuation with body, the infatuation with sensuality. 
But like any good teacher, he recognized that in almost anything you say, there is um, there's a counterindication that every medicine has a certain side effect. And the, med- the side effect of uh, the unattractiveness of the body is when some 60 bhikkhus killed themselves. And uh, the Buddha thought, oh, hmm, I think I'd better teach mindfulness of breathing now. <laughs> You know, they, they took that sense of something that's, that pulls you up from being sensually infatuated. They took that as an ultimate statement. You know, so you, you take uh, uh, something as a view. You know, this gives you an idea what a view is. It becomes a permanent ideology. You know, it actually is like this, rather than this is um, something that helps to, for a particular um, ailment. And there is certainly a huge sensual outflow in our culture. Um, my sense of this is it's obviously a mingled thing, but I sense much of this is almost um, getting out of the body. It's like, uh, you know, we we do this to somehow feel, to, meet, to, to be with everybody else, to feel okay, to feel accepted. A lot of the um, fashion and, and those industries, glamour industries, are there, and I, th- I think that one of the ways in which you follow it is just to feel safe. You know, if you're wearing the wrong clothes, you know, you're gonna, you won't get hired, you, get, you won't get, you'll be blamed or accused or looked down upon. If you're not looking the right way, you'll be laughed at, jeered at, unaccepted. So you, you've got to keep up with the gang. And um, rather than some sense of tremendous overflowing quality of confidence and playfulness that makes one intoxicated with the senses, I, I sense a lot of it comes uh, from nervousness. But this is, you know, it's a mingled thing. So we can understand what this particular medicine is for, apply it. But when you have a tremendous disease in mistrust, alienation, um, self-denigration, it's not the scalpel that you need. It's It's the massage. And the, so as we enter into the body, the aim of this is to know this is a body. This is a, and as the Buddha gives this teaching, he's saying one can know the sensations in the body, the arising energies in the body, the passing, the breathing, what a body's like when it's dead, the flesh, what happens to that, the bones. And eventually you come to this sense of, this is a body. <laughs> you know, it's like you don't have a view about it anymore. It's not good, bad, high, low, it's just... There's this thing, and here it is. Um, and one can be with that. <clears throat> As it said, someone who knows the true cultivation of loving kindness or metta can see the attractive in the unattractive, the unattractive in the attractive, neither and both. So is they're not stuck in a particular view. 
the my sense is that this um, entering into this gives us a sense of specific locality, and also to recognise that you know much of Indian spirituality was pretty cosmological. You know, so you get there's the deities and the Brahma Lokas, and the Buddha himself was taught trainings on how to achieve this, this sphere of nothingness, neither perception nor perception. It's all pretty out there, spacey stuff. And the devotion to formless realms and gods and so forth. So really, you know, the, the whole current of that going way out there. You know, the origins of the cosmos and this. And then the Buddha saying, what about this thing? You know, body, body. You know, very, very powerful turning the whole thing around and perhaps even just rather than as the mortifying sects of India would do just trying to rip the body apart so you could you know, get this inner essence to come out of it saying we just be there in your body and when we and, and recognizing even we are there with our bodies that, that you know there's a tremendous struggle to get out of this. Sometimes it's pain, sometimes it's just a sense I can't feel anything here. It's not it's that painful, I just my mind won't sit in it because there's nothing here. You know? so it's not it's not a good place to be, it's not a comfortable place to be, it's even a um, a shut down place. See just close your eyes and weighing you're out. Two breaths and weighing you're out. And you may think it's because my mind isn't developed, but I say it's because your body isn't developed. And I don't mean press-ups and uh, jogging. I mean your sense of body is not developed. Interestingly enough, the the one occasion when he was questioned uh, about cultivation of body and mind, and the Buddha said... um, one is not overwhelmed by pleasure because the body is fully developed. Because one has fully developed the body, one is not overwhelmed by pleasure. I teach the cold, I teach the full development of body, so one is not overwhelmed by pleasant by pleasure. It means that. Uh, you know, the seeking of good feeling, the seeking of happiness, the seeking of joy can be found in this very body as it sits here. So therefore, one is not thrown out seeking something out there because in here is a sense of comfort, wholeness, completion, gladness, satisfaction. One is not overwhelmed by pleasure because the body is fully developed. So, you know, and saying this this is to be done, there are many ways and ways to do this. Breathing, sitting, walking, standing, I've been showing some, some simple forms of body work to just get some sense of the body having energy in it having a vibration to it and recognizing that much of the afflictedness and damage gets embodied 
That's the fear gets trapped. The rage gets frozen. The grief gets numbed. And it, it's in that process, that is embodied. That is parts of our bodily sense begin to hold those pains and afflictions. And as they do so, they cramp, they shut down. So you can't feel your chest. You don't realize your belly moves in and out when you breathe. Because it's, it's held. And you don't do it anymore. It's, it's, the, it's kind of cased in there. So finding ways in which we can actually feel the whole body as an energetic is both to break the crust of, those, of that armoring and also to feel the, the natural suffusive um, energy that's present in bodily form. Not particular sensations, but just the sense of well-being, aliveness. <clears throat> And wholeness, because when the body or part of our embodiment energy is used to just hold stuff, then the energy dips. You're not, you haven't got all your cylinders firing, because part of your engine is, is just used up in holding stuff. You don't, really, one doesn't realize one's doing it, because the centre of being becomes the head, which is out of all this. You know which can dream and think. It's out of all this. You don't realize that your body's half shut down. <clears throat> so mindfulness of body, mindfulness of breathing, being able to, in terms of the structures on Anapanasati, finding a breath, knowing how we breathe, really bonding to that breath, and then thoroughly experiencing the entire body. One breathes in, one breathes out. Thoroughly sensitive to the entire body. One breathes in, one breathes out. This doesn't mean, you know, your eyebrows, your toenails. It means the whole felt sense of being embodied. You can sense that. You don't, you can't really, you know, it's not a matter of knowing anatomically, it's a matter of knowing the sense of body and then letting the breath energy shimmer and diffuse and saturate that. And if one comes to cultivating this, um, and as it comes into fulfillment, the Buddha's expression is, there is no part of this body that is not drenched, steeped, suffused, saturated, pervaded with rapture and bliss, born of being settled. Those are fairly clear indications, you know, there's no part of this body that is not steeped, saturated, drenched, suffused. <laughs> and he uses the image of um, a bath, of someone making a bath who gets the dry powder of what was then soap and water and mixes it till it gets frothy. And they keep rubbing it and mixing it till it becomes frothy and bubbly. And he said, this is how, your, how the body sense becomes, instead of this kind of dried up, desiccated, lump of pain with dullness in it and the mind is a kind of a frantic wild monkey desperately trying to get away from it all <laughs> you know those two energies come together and bond and so the mind mixes into the body the awareness mixes with the body sense till it's you can't separate body mind they are really 
You know, you can't separate them. The sense of being is an embodied sense. Uh, and this is right, you know, mainline Buddha Dhamma. Repeated many, many times. So many times they begin to edit it out because it's just as the same as in Sutta 26, you know. <laughs> Here we go again when the Buddha says this stuff. So it repeated many times. Now we can enter also through the, the, the feeling and through chitta, because these two are embodied. Whenever something is, is discerned in its own terms, a feeling is known as a feeling, one speaks from the feeling, one hears the feeling, one senses the feeling just exactly as it is, then this too is embodiment. It, you may, you know, the language is difficult, I admit, but it brings one into alignment with this whole energetic field of presence. And you may notice this yourself. Uh, you, know, you actually, instead of trying to deal with the sadness, overcome it, explain it, be brave, you just sense, oh, sadness. And something you sighs. Maybe a tear trickles. The shoulders drop. Oh, here I am. Oh, it's all right. You know, definitely there's a body shift that occurs when one really touches a feeling in the feel in a, a feeling as it is. <clears throat> Mental feeling or a physical feeling. The mind in the mind, one knows this is the mind, this is an effect of fear, this is an effect of contraction, this is an effect of boundlessness. One knows these attributes as they are. And the language is beautifully terse. One simply knows this. One doesn't go into the flurry. So in this this the third the third foundation. It doesn't. They didn't seem to have a big problem with uh, the same sense of shame and views that that, that we do. Because when, of course, uh, the even to touch these some of these energies, first of all, is very difficult to do without labelling in some shamed, dismayed way, or some exalted way. If it's a, if it's a positive state, I got this. But, of course, in, in the afflicted state, it's, oh, here it is again. Oh, dear. I'm never going to get this together. Deal with the fear. Come on, pull yourself together, man. Brace up against it. Snap out of it. And so forth. It's just that. It's just the fear. Be the knowing or whatever. And so we can <laughs> find, you know, coarse ways and even quite subtle ways of jargoning around these these perilous and provocative um, senses of being affected. So when we even we use the word mind, it's a bit dodgy for people, it's, it's tricky, because citta really refers to our sense of being affected, our effect response system, effect response. So you're touched, and uh, the meditation is is 
based around tactile analogies. It's not conceptual, it's tactile. Being touched by something. And we can still, we can still remember, you know, know that. You know, what's touched? How do you, how do you touch me? You know, how does your presence touch me? I'm affected. And there's some sort of little response. And right around that, there's, there can be a, 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 a casing of shame. I'm not supposed to be affected. You're just an impermanent phenomenon. Yeah. So I've, I've already decided what, what it is before it's happened. You know, so I'm wearing this case of now, I put Buddhist wallpaper on top of the inside of my shelf. <laughs> you know, and it's got flowers and trees and Dhamma symbols and it looks great. Because if, if I was touched, I might find a response happening. And you know what, in a response, I might start getting all feely and emotional and dear. Can't have that happening, because I'm supposed to be ceasing, aren't I? I'm supposed to be being extinguished. Because <laughs> there isn't a self anyway. So anything that, that happens like that is some kind of um, weird um, perversion. And it disturbs me. To, to respond, to be affected, me respond, respond. This, of course, is not. One can't blame this on Buddhist meditation because it's it's prior to that. You know, it comes from all that training. When you get angry, don't show it. Shut up. Yeah. Uh, when you feel frightened, don't show it. Pull yourself together. You're a man. You're a boy. Whatever it is. Uh, if you're a, if you're a woman, it's going to be you know you get uh, you get disappointed or something. You're supposed to be loving. Never supposed to be fed up, and moody. You know? So all those senses in which you know what are we setting up for ourselves? I don't know. How it means to, to to be touched by fear doesn't mean I have to go into a state of frozen paranoia, but I can sense that something's wrong here. It's okay. I was saying to somebody the other day just about how you watch how animals are. They don't mind being frightened. They consider it pretty healthy. Yeah. And you see them stop. They sniff. Their ears turn round. Their body kind of is poised. You hear a twig crack. And they stay just they're in that very hyper state for a little while. Check it out, everything seems to be okay. Maybe they shuffle away a little bit, look around, and everything seems to be okay, and you see them they come out of it. But they went into it and felt it. And used that the Dhamma Vijaya, investigated the territory, found out, no, it was just a branch falling off a tree. I'm okay. End of story. <coughs> And often when they do that, they give a little twitch. You see, in the way that deer, they shake their tails, or their ears twitch. Uh, it's like a way of shake, you know, coming out of that hyper state. Your, your little shake curves, and we settle back in again to the relaxed state. We lost our tails. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
Our ears are really quite impeded. I'm just about wiggle mine on a good day. <laughs> but the process is similar that if we go into that and come out of it, something in us gives a little tremble. We get an inner, oh, I'm all right now. We went in and then that's fine. And then the breath was perhaps held. And then he's okay. And then, oh, yeah a little sigh or a tear or whatever it is. There's a little bodily somatic tremble, which is what we have left of those animal um, characteristics. And then we're fine again. Now what happens when you're not allowed to to feel the fear? You go into the fear and then you just freeze. I'm all right. Fine. (laughs) So even though the initial trigger... Uh, is passed, the, the response system has not been allowed to respond, so you're frozen into that. So it kind of dwindles to a low-grade fear, manageable fear. And time and time again, one builds up this hard skin of manageable fear, manageable, fear, manageable unlocalized anxiety. There's something wrong here. I don't know where it is, but there's something wrong here. I'm not allowed to say that because it's rude or impolite or ingracious, not grateful or not bright or not cheerful or not upbeat enough. So everything's fine with me. <laughs> you know. Um, so th- these qualities end up being frozen and something in one's system then starts to freeze up on a cellular level. <clears throat> And even conceptual level, we after all we don't really even know it. It's not that we're having to put any effort into suppressing it. Our, our heads literally do not know that. I literally feel mm, all right. I think, I suppose. And when you get like that, then really one should begin to recognise some things. This is off because. There's no such thing as I feel all right. And feeling is a, is a is a is a subtle pulse, you know, of different qualities. And so this sense of wanting to have a permanent okay feeling, which is with a marketing product, isn't it? Feel permanently happy, permanently okay because you've cleaned your shirt with this soap powder. If you're not feeling permanently okay, then there's something very wrong with you. But to be able to allow the feeling to be the feeling, then so that your system actually is intelligent, that was painful, but now it's passed and it's okay again. And being prepared to touch, go into that. So the, the citta is the effect response system. And it can go into hypo states when it just you gen, generally do not feel, or hyper states when one is is in a cascade, overwhelmed um, sense where it's so much that that uh, there can't be an alignment to it. But always, even with with this, the power of that quality of sati is such that. We can say, 
there's the frozen, there's the overwhelm, there's too much, there's nothing, you know, there's a sense of nothing here for me. And sometimes just, you know, in, in really using one's cognitive faculties just to speak from the feeling, not explaining the feeling, not overcoming the feeling, not interpreting the feeling, not judging the feeling, just speak from the feeling. I feel blank. I feel nothing here. And maybe as you begin to you know, iterate those things in yourself and resonate with that sense of, wow, that feels so sad. You know, there's nothing here. That feels, sounds really sad. And then maybe we touch into what was held. That, the sense of, of uh, and nature, or the nature of, of awareness is empathic. It is resonant. It has to be. You know, in order to be aware of something, you've got to touch it and know how it is. And on the, uh, what I call the embodied mind only operates that way. You only know a thing by, penet- by entering into it. You know it in itself. You know how its effect is. You don't stand back from it and, and form an opinion about it. That's, that's, we might say, that's a cognitive faculty, and that has its uses. But the real awareness faculty just enters into and is affected, and that's how we know it. <clears throat> so you know, in this sense, empathy is its primary mode of intelligence. And if we can't feel the feeling, feel the body, just say that, you know, or know that, and know <laughs> what that feels like. You know, the frustration, the sense of something wrong, the despair, the um, stifledness, the, the you know, dullness or the absence. Touch those and resonate with those. And you begin to unpeel these hard layers of protecting our own from ourselves from our own pain or from this pain that's been impacted. So you've got this blister and just beginning to rub away gently the edges of that. Knowing the mind or knowing this effect in its as it is, knowing the effect, knowing the chitta in the chitta. And just to, you know, to add to that, if anything needs to be added, um, when we resonate with something, uh, we try to get to the whole of it. So it's not just, um, this is anger, but this, feeling the energy of that. Feeling, you know, feeling the whole of it means sensing how the body senses in that how the energy rises or flushes or tingles or charges. Knowing the kind of vibrational quality of it, the somatic quality of it. So we get a, this is Sampajanya, the full awareness, full awareness of, of, of these ex- experience. Takes us into the, the whole field of resonance, the whole field of embodied awareness. So if you can't, as I was saying, if you can't find your body, then 
enter through the 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 mind or the effect experience, effect response experience. And the other other set of phrases that work is internally, externally. So internally and externally, and knowing how what seems to be outside us affects us. Knowing how sights or sounds, how we're affected by that. So, even you know, when we are not with a particular internal meditation object, making this very sense world meditation object, being knowing how one is affected and being prepared to be affected. The the brutality of of what one, one can perceive around us, and the sadness of that, and the sense of despair that can come up with that. And then as the other day, the snow falls, suddenly this vision of purity, lightness, spontaneity, immaculate, shining, and everybody's out there running around in the snow. That's part of it too, isn't it? There's the joy, and there's the terror, and there's the love, and there's the despair. Being in oneself to be touched by all this. So we don't just freeze up or glue onto one particular set of tones, but you know that broadening the whole of that. And then what we come to, it all arises. It's all of the arising, welling up characteristic. And it's all of the arising and subsiding characteristic. And one has an awareness that can extend and handle that. So instead of something arising and then you, you grab it and hold it and fight with it and struggle with it or lock onto it and you know, push it down, there can be just with that, that welling up, realizing that all the beauty and pain of this conditioned realm can bring us into this sense of presence, willingness to be here. And in this we awaken, we become whole. Knowing that the mind objects in the mind objects, this is pretty much as before. But being able to distinguish particular (coughs) repetitive patterns that occur. The ill ill will, the bitterness, the contractedness. And I think ill will to me, implies a lot more than just obvious hatred. It's this, often it's the, so much of it is the self-hatred which is sometimes disguised as resignation, as despond, as gloom, depression. It's got a bitter twist to it, cynical, soured, failed, all these kind of tones. This very powerful patterning. And where's that held? Where's the, you know, knowing, so we touch this material, 
<coughs> this last foundation, and I think it, in a way it is last, not because it's, it's least important, it is the, the, the most important aspect, but we do need to be able to find the ground, to, to have resources to, to touch into some of this impacted material. Because uh, this, uh, this is our in, in, inherited karma, and which, if we just touch it without full resource, we can catalyze it, even enhance it in some way. So one can be revisiting these, this material time and time again, I'm sure we do, but without full resource and without uh, full awareness, one can end up actually cementing it. I'm always like this on retreat. Um, I have all these huge problems. Um, so even though one's intention is certainly to work this out, dispel it, the resource to, to actually handle and hold it has to be generated. And we do this, I suggest, through body, through even external you know, objects externally, internally. Mind is affected externally and internally. And then we, if our awareness is flexible, we can begin to handle some of this more impacted stuff <clears throat> before it just pulls you right in. You know, just getting pulled into this material helplessly spun around um, can in fact have the effect of grooving it a little deeper. So, as I've said before, being able to have the ability to just get around the edge of this, this, this despair, this despond, and feeling it in the body, like which parts of the body seem to be absent or protected at this particular time. Um, what's the signaling that goes on? How do I find the space around me? And what this, the nature of this material is, one of the telltale signs of it is when you get impacted, you don't, you don't sense any space around you. You're, you're out there. You know. The sense of the ground, the physical ground, the environment around you, you, you feel sealed off from it all. You feel encased, like you're almost under glass. You can see it, but you're not there with it. Um, and this is something to be <laughs> got, you know, moved out of um, it, um, promptly <laughs> and, and with kindness and compassion. Um, and perhaps this is, you know, what the the external world can can help us with. And particularly, when we have an external world which is um, benevolent, uh, interested empathic, uh, and where, of course, the presence of Kalyanamita is so important. And if, if we can't find that, then can we physically find where our feet are, what our walking is, the rhythm of that, the sensations of that, the breathing, the tactile sense of this very body. And this, you know, this seems quite crude in a way, but you, you need to be able to get to the safe place in order to start doing the fine detailed work. But just staying in it doesn't doesn't do it any good. Denying it doesn't do any good either. 
but just the so this play, being able to, to shuttle or stay on the edge and and um, practice with that. Now it, it so in the mature in the maturity or those times when we are mature, we're not permanently mature, I'm sure, but we do have these these, grow, these growing um, fullnesses that come up. The possibility of um, knowing this sense as it arises, this sense of despond or ill will, mistrust as it arises, is just this. This is particular energetic tone. I feel a tightening here. I feel a spinning here. One knows that, and one knows how to come out of that. And one knows how to stay out of it. And this is explained, he knows the object, the Dhamma, how it arises, how it subsides, and how to to remain out of it, how to heal up those holes that we keep dropping down. Um, through being just, and this is not conceptual, it's something in you begins to feel the the, the gap and, and begin to be, being sense in there. So I notice uh, myself a, a pattern of ill will that arises for me is um, like a survivor's ill will, um, which means I'll be all right. Thank you. I'll be all right. Um, and it means um, you know, like a kind of slightly contracted state. Um, whereby I don't expect to be free or joyful. I expect to carry a weight. I expect to have a certain grim, dogged, weight-carrying capacity. Um, This is Buddhism. (laughs) I expect to feel slightly dejected and mildly depressed. I can manage that. I'm all right, I tell you. I expect there to be nobody else here to help me. I'm all right. I'm self-sufficient. I'm not attached to people. I expect no one else to help me at all. I realize that actually I am a bit of a nuisance and a waste of time. And I wouldn't dream of imposing upon you. I'm well trained. So let me get on with my suffering. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't touch me. <laughs> and, you know, I can keep cruising with that one. And, um, you know, it's true, it does survive. You think maybe you want to do something more than survive. Yeah. And I've noticed that with this one particularly, you know, always the the sense of really fearing touch, fearing being touched, because when one is touched, suddenly that thing just cracks. I feel this incredible grief, sadness. <laughs> <laughs> 
So one recognizes some of this, these encrustations are almost like, in a weird way, protecting us from the true poignancy of being here, the vulnerability of it. So, you know, we end up encasing ourselves in these strategies of gloom, of need, of agitation, or just dulling out. So I won't feel it anymore. And then even authorizing that as transcendence. The most wicked um, deceit. But you only have to be touched and, and feel that the things shift and feel the shimmer and the shake and the tear and the sigh and the tail tremble and the ears twitch. Think, wow, that was that was painful, but I feel better now. A little bit has kind of come alive. And you do, well, I don't really have to understand this, but know that the stuff is to be touched, is to be handled. And sometimes when we can't handle it ourselves, it it really is uh, the blessing of our life to have those who are prepared be with us, be there with us, and to touch, be interested. So there's a whole range there, I feel, you know, in ways in which we get into our body, getting to be real with our body, real with our feelings, real with each other. Knowing there's bits of me that I can't, I can't touch until somebody else touches it. And gradually, the humility of that. So, you know, the kind of whole skill, sense of skillful means and path begins to open up out of this core teaching. So, of course, there are Many, many ways, many, many ways, many possibilities. And I feel that if I only taught one, it wouldn't be enough. If I try to teach them all, there's not enough time. And yet, if I just give you this, the gist of this, uh, and uh, trust... There's nothing to be ashamed of. 